My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Rosebeer here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, May 22nd, 2013. We'll be doing our light edition today and finishing up our two-week mini-series on the gospel preaching of the Apostle Paul by Steve Lawson. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Well, we just like last week, we've started off the week with two real stinker sermons. And to cleanse our palate once again, we're going to listen to another uh, lecture by Dr. Stephen Lawson on the uh, gospel preaching of the Apostle Paul. And you will notice, if you pay close attention to this lecture, that Stephen Lawson, although he did not set out to do this, this was not the purpose of this lecture. In fact, it was delivered long before uh, what I'm going to note here is that <clears throat> he flat out directly contradicts the bizarre, crazy notions that we heard from uh, Adam Hushka yesterday regarding what the gospel is and how you preach it and stuff like that. And this is one of the reasons why I picked uh, this little two-part miniseries by Dr. Stephen Lawson. Now, Dr. Lawson is a Reformed Baptist. I'm a confessional Lutheran. We have a lot of common ground, and there are some significant things that Reformed Baptists and Lutherans would disagree upon. Um, I'm not going to quibble with uh, Dr. Lawson and what he's preaching here. Suffice it to say, there's a few things as a Lutheran I would have put the emphasis on a different syllable. Uh, that being the case, Dr. Lawson does a fine job of distinguishing properly law and gospel and is straight up on the money when it comes to 
how we're saved and the proclamation of Christ and him crucified for our sins, salvation by grace through faith, and that gospel preaching is that type of preaching that exalts and proclaims the works of Christ and what he has done for us lost, miserable sinners. So without any further ado, here's uh, part two of our two-part miniseries on the gospel preaching of the Apostle Paul. Here is Dr. Stephen Lawson. And so in this session, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me again to Romans chapter 1. And I want us to look again at these opening verses of this book in the Bible that is Paul's theological presentation with all of its depth and profundity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he makes this very known at the very outset of these opening verses to bring to your to your attention now this word gospel is found in verse 1 Paul a bondservant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God and that flags our attention at the very outset of this book that this is a book about the gospel of God we noted that this is the source of the gospel It is the gospel of God. Uh, It's a subjective genitive, meaning that God is the source. God is the uh, origin or the originator of this gospel. It has come down from above. It is not originated in the, the mind of man. It is not man's attempt to commend himself towards God. It is God's uh, proclamation, the means by which he will receive sinners to himself. And so we noted the the source of the gospel is God himself. This is God's gospel. This is God's solution to the human dilemma. This is God's way of salvation. We noted second that the exclusivity of the gospel, the definite article in front of gospel, the gospel should leap off the page to us that this is the one and only gospel that there is. There is no other gospel proclamation but this one that is revealed to us in pages of Scripture. In fact, we see that definite article used in verse 9, the gospel of his son, verse 15. uh, The gospel, I was eager to preach the gospel. And then in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In each of these instances... The the definite article, the, is used to define the exclusivity of this message. That is why we have to go preach the gospel far and wide. That is why, uh, as providence would permit and doors would open, that we should go even overseas and in those places where the name of Christ has not yet been named, for there is... There is no other way of salvation but through this gospel. And for those who die without hearing the gospel, uh, they will perish forever in the flames of hell because they are sinners like anyone else is a sinner. Even those who hear the gospel, uh, the flames of hell below is their just punishment. And so therefore, we must go to them and bring the gospel to them so that they may be saved. And Paul is making that point loud and clear, and he will reinforce that in chapter 10, for how can anyone be saved except 
they hear, and how can anyone hear except the preacher be sent? And how beautiful are the feet of those who carry glad tidings. And then third, we noted, as we continued to look at this, we noted in verse 2 the promise of the gospel. Uh, Paul writes that, it, that God promised this gospel beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scripture. And that in one way or another, the entirety of the Old Testament is a finger pointing ahead to the coming of Christ and the declaration of His atoning work upon the cross. This word gospel, euangelion, means good news. It means good report, good tidings, good announcement. When William Tyndale translated this into the English language, he defined it as glad tidings. It was a common word in the first century that was used in the culture, especially in the Roman Empire, to describe the pronouncement that would be made by a herald who would be dispatched from Caesar's throne and he would be entrusted with a message, and the message was a, mis- a message of, of victory and of triumph. For example, that the empire had conquered a, a surrounding nation and have now annexed and absorbed that nation into the empire, and now the empire has, has won a great victory on the battlefield. And so, Heralds would be dispatched to go to the four corners of of the empire and they would go into a village and gather a crowd around them and they would lift up their voice and cup their hands and they would make a proclamation that Caesar has won a great victory on the battlefield. That is the very word that is used here. And as Rome was used to sending out proclamations of victory, Paul says, no, I have a proclamation for Rome. I have a proclamation of God's victory through His Son and His death upon the cross. Martin Luther defined this word gospel this way. The evangel, or gospel, is a Greek word and in German means a good message, a good tidings, good news, a good report which one sings and tells with rejoicing. So when David overcame the huge Goliath, the good report and the comforting news came among the Jewish people that their terrible enemy, Goliath, had been slain, that they had been delivered, and that joy and and peace had been given to them. And they sang and they, they danced and were happy because of this victory. Luther then writes, So the evangel, the gospel of God, of the New Testament is also a good message and report. The gospel has, has resounded in all the world, Luther writes, proclaimed by the apostles. It tells of a true David who fought with sin and death and the devil and overcame them and thereby delivered without any merit of their own all those who were held captive in sin and plagued by death and who had been overcome by the devil. Jesus Christ, the greater Son of David, made them righteous, 
gave them life and saved them. Thus their needs were satisfied and they were brought back to God. Close quote. This is the proclamation, the announcement that God has entrusted to all whom He calls into His glorious service to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have noted the, the source of this gospel. It is God's gospel, the exclusivity of it. We have noted the promise of it. And now fourth, I want you to note the subject of it. Uh, what is the unique content of this gospel? And in verse, verses 3 and 4, we see, beginning in verse 3, that the gospel is rooted and grounded in the person and work of His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel. In fact, Martin Luther comments on this very verse. Verse 3, Luther writes, Here the door is thrown wide open for the understanding of Holy Scripture. That is, that everything must be understood in relation to Christ. Everything about the gospel must be understood in relation to Christ. The need for the gospel, the provision of the gospel, the securing of the gospel, the offer of the gospel, it is all bound up in Christ. John Calvin asserted, quote, the whole gospel is contained in Christ, close quote. He is the alpha and the omega of the gospel. He is the sum and the substance of the gospel. He is the beginning and the end of the content and the substance of the gospel. That is why Paul said, we preach Christ. We preach Christ and Him crucified. And this is why Paul said, we proclaim Him. To preach the gospel is to preach the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, note verse 3, as this sentence continues to, to unravel and to unfold and extend itself, in verse 3 of this gospel, he begins concerning his son. I love the succinctness of that. The saving gospel concerns the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see in th verse 3 both the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. This is what makes our gospel so unique, that He was fully God, yet fully man. Not 50% God and 50% man, 100% God, 100% man. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. It concerns His Son, the divine Son, of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon affirmed, let this be to you the mark of true gospel preaching, where Christ is everything. Concerning His Son, that speaks of His deity, His eternality, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. He is the Son of God and the Son of David. Son of David speaks of His humanity. It is a messianic term. 
that Jesus entered the human race through the portal of a virgin's womb, and he came in the direct messianic lineage as it had been prescribed in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, it was stated that this coming deliverer who would save his people from their sin, God said to David in 2 Samuel 7, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you. There will be a greater son of David who will come who will come forth from you, meaning from your loins, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It would not be a kingdom from which there would be a a succession to another king that when this king would appear on the scene of history, he would be a king and there would be the establishment of a kingdom forever. It would be an eternal kingdom. And this one is the son of David. In Psalm 89, verse 3, God says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Isaiah 11, verse 1, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, the father of David, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And this one is this Son, God, the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he would be fully God, and he would be fully man, and that would be necessary if he is to stand between God and man and be our mediator and lay hands on both God and man. To represent us before God, he must be fully man, and in order to make his intercession a perfect intercession, he must be fully God. That's what he did upon the cross. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. There is one one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And it was in his death upon the cross that he has secured the victory that we declare. Now note in verse 4, as we continue to think about the subject, of the gospel, that it is Jesus Christ. If verse 3 speaks of the person of Christ, Son of God, Son of David, verse 4 speaks of the proof of Christ, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Christ was heaven's authentication and validation that Jesus Christ is exactly whom he claimed to be and that his atonement for his people was a perfect and sufficient atonement that has been accepted by the Father. That is the glory of the resurrection. It is God's affirmation and declaration of Christ and who he is and what he has come to do. Verse 4 says, who was declared 
the Son of God. That was God who declared that His Son is our Savior. He was declared the Son of God with power. It is a powerful declaration and a powerful resurrection of Christ from the dead. Note, according to the spirit of holiness, meaning that's a Hebrewism, which means according to the Holy Spirit. That it was the Holy Spirit who was involved in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In reality, the entire Godhead was involved in the resurrection. God the Father raised His Son. God the Spirit raised the Son. And Jesus Himself raised Himself. John 10, verse 18, I have authority to lay my life down. I have authority to raise it back up again. The entire Godhead involved in this resurrection. And note, Paul uses in verse 4 the threefold designation, Jesus Christ our Lord. In the gospel of Christ, all three of these are vitally necessary. Jesus is His saving name. Jesus means Jehovah saves. Matthew 1, 21, you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. And though the resurrection proves that the saving sacrifice of Christ was accepted by the Father as full and final payment for our sins. The name Christ is His strong name. Christ means the anointed one. He is anointed with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Spirit of God to go forth and mightily fulfill the will and the work of God that ultimately came upon the cross as He died for our sins. And Lord is His sovereign name, kurios, which means master, ruler, despot. Jesus is Lord. He is the one who owns and rules the lives of His people. And as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we proclaim the fullness of Christ. We preach all that He is. Jesus, the saving one. Christ, the strong one. Lord, the sovereign one. And we make full declaration of who He is. If we are gospel preachers, we are Christ preachers. We are Jesus preachers. We are lordship preachers. We are to be constantly and continually exalting Christ in our preaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones demonstrates this for us in a sermon that he preached from Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 7. You'll recall that great sermon that he preached, Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God. He said, praise God for the buts in the Bible. The next week he preached this sermon. And in this sermon he reveled in magnifying the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me read you just one paragraph from this sermon, but it uniquely summarizes how our preaching must be so Christocentric, must be so Christ-centered. Lloyd-Jones says in this sermon, Christ bore our sins in His own body on the tree. Christ died. His lifeless body was taken down. It was buried in a grave. The stone was rolled 
over the grave. He was dead. He literally died for our sins. But the morning of the third day, he arose. He was raised from the dead. There Christ was for that period of, of days, in dead, in the grave, in the realm of the dead. But he came out from the state and place of death. The grave clothes were left in the grave, but he was not there. They went to see the body in the grave, but there was no body, only the grave clothes. Christ has arisen. Christ has been taken out. Christ no longer dead. He was no longer in the grave. He was now in another realm. He was alive from the dead. Christ appeared. You remember to those chosen people for 40 days, Lloyd-Jones says. In many ways, Christ manifested himself under these chosen witnesses, and then Christ ascended into heaven. Christ, Christ, Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the less you make of Christ, the less gospel you have to preach. The more gospel we would preach, the more of Christ we must proclaim. Spurgeon said, I sometimes wonder that you do not get tired of my preaching because I do nothing but hammer away on this one same nail. With me, it is year after year, none but Jesus, none but Jesus. Spurgeon said, if you leave out Christ... You've left the, left the sun out of the day, the moon out of the night. You've left the waters out of the sea and the floods out of the river. You've left the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body. You've left joy out of heaven. You have robbed all of its all. There is no gospel worth preaching of, much less worth receiving, if Jesus be forgotten. We must have Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega of our ministries. This is the subject of the gospel. Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love one more quote by Spurgeon. When in doubt, throw in Spurgeon. <laughs> there was never a sinner half as big as Christ is a Savior. Come and measure the sinner from head to foot and all around, make him out to be an elephant sinner. Yet there is room in the ark for him. Christ is the ark. There is room in the heart of Jesus for the vilest of the vile. Oh, that you would turn your eyes to him, pray to him from your very heart, and trust in him with your whole soul. That's what gospel preaching requires. We preach the full counsel of God. We preach all of the doctrines of the Bible, but they all come together in this glorious apex and this crowning pinnacle of Christ and Him crucified. Now, if this is the proof of Christ in verse 4, and we're still under the subject of the gospel, look at verse 5, and here is the provision of Christ. This is what the Son of God, the Son of David, has provided through his mediatorial death upon the cross. Verse 5, note, through whom we have received grace. Jesus is the sole mediator of grace. Let me put it this way. 
there is not one drop of grace outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever grace any sinner is to ever receive, it will be a grace that has come through Him, come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he says, through whom we have received grace. Not through Him we have earned grace, but it has been granted to, to us. No, this grace is provided as a free gift. It is not earned. It is not worked for, but received apart from any human merit. Grace is not a reward for the righteous. It is a gift for the guilty. And it is received by those who confess their sin and bow before the Lordship of Jesus Christ and cast themselves by faith upon His saving arms. All saving grace, verse 5, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we'll be listening to the balance of this lecture on the, the gospel preaching of the Apostle Paul, part two. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. <clears throat> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Audacious Bible Time. I'm your host, Stanley Andy. Today we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, from the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation of the Bible. Here's what it says. 
But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of bloggers, who warned you to flee from your mother's basement? Thank you for listening to Audacious Bible Time. I'm your host, Stanley Andy. Purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Mark your calendar now for April 25, 26, and 27, 2014. You see, it's not too soon to be making your plans, saving your pennies, and asking for work off April 25, 26, and 27 of 2014 for the 11th annual Branson Worldview Weekend. This past year, we had people from all over the country and actually from other countries join us in the beautiful rolling hills of Branson, Missouri. So if you're looking to attend the premier Understanding the Times Biblical Worldview Weekend, then join us April 25, 26, and 27 of 2014 for the Branson Worldview Weekend. It's for all ages. Children 11 and under are free. We also have a group rate and a family rate. The Worldview Weekends have been around since 19. 93. So we're one of the oldest biblical worldview conferences in America. So mark your calendar now for Branson, Missouri, April 25, 26, and 27, 2014. Bum, 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 bum. No, 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 no. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor doesn't believe that preaching the gospel entails telling everything that Jesus has done for us. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, Fighting for the faith.com when you get there you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons one says donate the other says join our crew when you join our crew you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 that's it every month to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith and pirate christian radio and if you'd like to 
specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. We cannot bring this important radio outreach to you and to the world without it. All right, here's the balance of today's lecture, part two of the gospel preaching of the Apostle Paul. Here's Dr. Stephen Lawson. Paul adds, and apostleship. Now, the, the apostleship is unique to Paul. It is not a part of our uh, uh, entrustment. But what Paul is saying here, that all who have received grace also have received a responsibility to proclaim this grace to others. Uh, we have been saved out of the world to go back into the world, and that is the chief business that we have in the world. And that is what Paul is saying. All of this is to say the gospel begins by declaring to the sinner what God has done in Christ to save sinners like them. J. Gretchen Machen wrote years ago a classic book called Christianity and Liberalism. And in that book, Machen makes this statement. Christianity begins with a triumphant indicative. As you would recall from your English or Greek classes, the indicative mood is the assertion of a fact. It is the declaration of an objective fact. It is the fundamental mood, really, in human language because it asserts, it states, it declares, it announces. When Machen writes that Christianity begins with a triumphant indicative, he is emphasizing that the gospel, that gospel preaching begins with the declaration of the truth and the objective fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not dialoguers, we are declarers. We are not those who are proving the existence of God. We are declaring the existence of God and the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Machen is correct when he asserts Christianity is based upon a piece of information. The subject of that information is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Information about what He has done for us is the gospel, close quote. Our preaching must be full of the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be continually proclaiming Christ because He is the heart of the gospel, and we must declare who He is, Son of God, Son of David, and what He has done for us. He is our mediator upon the cross, and the proof of that triumphant atonement that the Holy Spirit of God has raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses in our hearts of this. Number four, I want you to note the purpose of the gospel. Still in verse five, what is, what is the end? What is the purpose? Note in verse five, he goes on to say, 
to bring about the obedience of faith. The purpose of the gospel is not aisle walkers. The purpose of the church is not card signers. The purpose of the church is not of the gospel is not for people to parrot a prayer. The purpose of the gospel is to bring about Paul writes the obedience of faith. This means the obedience that comes from faith. The gospel is not so much an offer as it is a command. God has commanded that all sinners everywhere repent. And so there is this obedience of faith. The gospel is not a suggestion. The gospel is not a wish. The gospel comes with the authority of heaven and earth, and it calls for the obedience of faith. John 3, verse 36, he who believes in the Son, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, present tense, right now, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him, close quote. And in the parallelism of that verse, John 3, verse 36, saving faith and disobedience are set in juxtaposition. The one who has faith in Christ is a true believer. It is the one who obeys Christ is the true believer. But the one who says they believe but does not yield in obedience to Christ is a false convert and is not a true believer in Jesus Christ. It is the goal of our preaching to bring about the obedience of faith. We are to bring souls bound in the golden chains of the gospel and be laid at the feet of Jesus as His slaves and His servants through the power of the gospel itself. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up a cross and follow after me. As we preach the Word of God, we must preach in such a way that our listeners and our hearers understand not only the subject of the gospel, but they must understand what is the right response to the substance of the gospel that it requires the obedience of faith. Now, number six, I want you to note the scope of the gospel. Still in verse five, here Paul defines the outermost boundaries of our gospel ministry. To whom must the gospel be preached? And as verse five continues, Paul here defines its scope when he says, among all the Gentiles. It is stated in this larger context that the gospel must be preached to the Jew first, verse 16, and also to the Greek, verse 16. But in preaching this gospel, we are to bring the gospel, in essence, to everyone, everywhere, in every place. 
There is no one in the world who is not a candidate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that we have is a message that must be told to every human being upon this planet. And there to be the urging of the obedience of faith. God's gospel is universal in its scope. And this is what Paul is affirming here. The psalmist said in Psalm 96, verse 10, much the same. He says, we are to say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And in the Great Commission, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In Luke's gospel, this great commission says, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in His name to all the nations. This necessitates on our part that as gospel preachers and gospel witnesses, we must be willing to go anywhere, at any time, at any price, with anyone in order to preach the gospel. Because the scope of the gospel is all the nations of the world. The scope of the gospel is to all the Gentiles. George Whitfield, the great evangelist of the 18th century, said, The whole world is now my parish. Wheresoever my master calls me, I'm ready to go and preach the everlasting gospel. And this must be the heart and soul and passion that is driving us to preach the gospel anywhere, anytime, any place. Seventh, I want you to note the goal of the gospel. As Paul is making his case for the gospel, and he says at the end of verse 5 that the goal of the gospel is for his name's sake. It is not for the size of your church. It is not for the reputation of your ministry. It is not for the recognition of your denomination. It is not for anything but for His name's sake. This refers to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for the sake of the honor of Christ's name. This was the highest motive in Paul's heart and the loftiest reason in his gospel preaching that there would be yet more voices joined to the hallelujah chorus to sing the praises of the Lamb who is upon His throne in heaven. He is wanting more glory to go to Christ, more praise to go to the Father for the giving of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what was driving the Apostle Paul, this Christ-centered, Christ-glorifying mission within him. His heart is aching with love and devotion for Christ. He is burdened that Christ be made known among the heathen so that they too will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is heartbroken when the gospel is rejected because others do not receive Christ. And Paul is exuberant within his soul when others come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
All of our preaching must have this highest apex to bring honor and glory to the name of Him who is alone worthy, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the supreme passion in the heart of the Father that His Son would be honored and magnified as well. Paul writes in Philippians 2 verse 9, For this reason God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If that is the heartbeat of the Father, that every knee would bow to His Son, and that every tongue would confess the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of, of His Son, so it must be the passion within our soul as well. It must be the fire that is raging within our, within our bosom that Christ would be honored and that Christ would be glorified. Finally, I want you to note the success of the gospel. As we come to verses 6 and 7, Paul draws emphasis upon the effectual call of God. Notice in verse 6, he says, "...among whom you also are the called of God." Every reference in the epistles to the call of God is a reference, in a, in a salvific way, is a reference to the effectual, sovereign, irresistible call of God, of His elect, by the Spirit, to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Those whom He foreknew, he predestined, and whom He predestined, He called, and whom He called, He justified, and whom He justified, He glorified. It is this call of God that brings the gospel message home triumphantly to the heart of the one who listens and guarantees the success of the gospel enterprise. God guarantees that His gospel will not return to Him void. God guarantees that His gospel will have a glad reception in the hearts of those whom He has marked out from all eternity past. Not only is God the source of the gospel, but God is the guarantor of the success of the gospel, that all of the elect will receive the, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by this call that God overcomes all of the resistance of man to the gospel. It is by this call that blind eyes are opened. It is in this call that deaf ears are opened. It is by this call that, that, that dead hearts are opened. It is by this call that the gifts of repentance and faith are bestowed upon those for whom it is intended. It is by this call that God guarantees the success of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What confidence we should have as we proclaim the gospel. And how we do not need to manipulate anyone but to preach and to urge and to plead and to trust God to bring it home to the human heart. We can bring the gospel to the ear and we can go no further 
But the Holy Spirit is there like a relay race, ready to take the baton to the gospel and run to the finish line in the heart of the elect and bring it on home to their hearts, and they receive Christ. It is the Holy Spirit of God who makes sinners willing in the day of His power. And just like the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, so do the walls of resistance and excuses and putting up obstacles to the gospel. No, it is God by His sovereign call who brings His elect home to the gospel. He goes on to say in verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, and he repeats it again. He underscores it and emphasizes it to the church at Rome as they are in the shadow of of Caesar's uh, palace, as they are in this intimidating, threatening situation. If there is one place on the earth that you would say that the gospel has an impossible barrier and it cannot succeed, it would be in Rome there with the imperial might of the Roman Empire. But as the gospel was preached... Even there in Rome, all the way into Caesar's household, God, by His sovereign call, brought the success of the gospel home to human hearts. This is our confidence. This is our trust that the chosen bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, the elect of God, shall be united and married to the head of the church, the Savior of sinners, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the golden pillars that uphold our arms as we preach the gospel that God goes before us and God is marking out hearts and God is preparing souls and God will bring the gospel to those who are called with glorious triumph. Spurgeon gloried in this truth. I want to conclude with this quotation. He was preaching a sermon on out of Matthew chapter 8 that many shall come from the north and the south and the east and the west and many shall recline at Abraham's bosom. Spurgeon said, oh, I love God's shalls and wills. There is nothing comparable to them. Let a man say shall, what is it good for? I will, says man, and he never performs it. I shall, a man says, and he breaks his promise. But it is never so with God's shalls. If God says shall, it shall be. When God says will, it will be. Now, he has said, many shall come. The devil says, they shall not come. But they shall come. You yourselves say, we won't come. God says, you shall come. Yes, there are some here, Spurgeon said, who are laughing at salvation, who scoff at Christ, who mock at the gospel. But I tell you, some of you shall come yet. What you say? Can God make me become a sinner? Uh, make me become a Christian? I tell you, yes, for herein rests the power of the gospel. It does not ask for your consent. It gets it. It does not say, will you have it, but it makes you willing in the day of His power. 
Spurgeon said, if Jesus Christ were to stand on this platform tonight, what would many people do with him? If he were to come and say, here I am, I love you, will you be saved by me? Not a one of you would consent if you were left to your own will. He himself said, no man can come to me except for the Father who sent me draw him. Ah, we want that and here we have it. They shall come. They shall come. You may laugh. You may despise us. But Jesus Christ shall not die for nothing. If some of you reject him, there are some that will not. If there are some that are not saved, others shall be. Christ shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. And then Spurgeon said, they shall come, they shall come. And not in heaven, nor on earth, nor in hell can stop them from coming to the Savior. It is our God-given assignment and task to go to the nations, to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, to lift up His grace, to declare of His goodness in the way of salvation in God's gospel, rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. And as we preach, it is God Himself who guarantees the success of this gospel. May we have renewed confidence in this gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. May we be eager to go to our homeland, go back to our churches, go back to our cities, and may we preach the gospel knowing that God is with us as He will call out a bride for His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I can have a glorious part and bringing this message to them. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thrill our hearts as never before of the glorious gospel of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, cause us to treasure this gospel as never before. What a glad tiding, what great news you have entrusted to us that a greater than David has gone out and slayed the Goliath of sin and death and Satan. And even as the camp of Israel leaped for joy and rejoiced in this victory, as the news sprinkled and spread among the camp, Lord, may we be used as your preachers and as your witnesses to go far and wide to the four corners of this earth to declare the great victory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, would you give us great confidence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit of God not only to lift up our tired arms and not only to give our voice greater strength and vigor, but we pray that the Spirit of God will so work in the hearts of those to whom we speak and preach and teach that it will be a new day in our ministries and that there will be a glorious ingathering of lost souls 
as a result of the effectual, irresistible, sovereign call of the Holy Spirit of God. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>